Commencement, the beginning of a new era in higher education by Kate Colbert and Joe Salustio with contributions by Elvin Freitas is now available for pre-order on Amazon. Get your Kindle edition or your softbound book. It's going to be amazing. Advanced 360 Education is a data-focused digital marketing company with proven positive outcomes for educational institutions. To learn more, visit a360education.com or call Anthony Espinoza at 310-704-5369. That's Advanced 360 Education. Welcome back, everybody. It's your time to end up here on the Edup Experience Podcast, where we make education your business. Dr. Joe Salustio, back with you again on another episode. How many times do I have to say it before you believe it? I will come back every single time and do these episodes. Why? Because I get to talk to the most brilliant people in and around higher education. And in fact, you know, because I say it all the time, I'm taking over 100, I and Kate Colbert and Elvin Freitas, we're taking over 100 interviews that we've done with college and university presidents, and we're putting them into a book. And I know you have not bought it yet, um, but it's coming out in October called Commencement, the Beginning of New Era in Higher Education. I urge you to check it out. Um, I am editing some final chapters. It is pretty stinking good. I got to tell you guys, maybe a little bit selfish as I read it, because I'm like, oh, I remember that person said that. Oh, I remember this person said that get to get some of these things that fill my brain, these brilliant moments and get them out on paper for you all to experience too. Speaking of brilliant minds, I have somebody here again, not trying to set the bar too high for her, but I mean, I mean, brilliant minds, you know, no pressure for my guest today. Here she is, ladies and gentlemen. Come on, put your hands up in the air. For Dr. Lisbeth Steer, she is executive director at the Education Commission. Welcome to the podcast, Lisbeth. Thank you. How are you today? I am great, thank you. Did you know you're gonna get a standing ovation before you even spoke a word? This is amazing, I haven't said anything and people are already <laughs> applauding. This is um, gonna be good. It's a, it can only get worse from this point on, no, I'm telling <laughs> uh, Lisbeth, I'm so excited to have you because you know here at EdUp, um, you, you probably don't know, but about 15, actually a little bit more than 15% of our audience is an international audience. And of course, when we started this podcast in the United States, we get primarily, we get a US audience. And then we went to Qatar, um, and then we um, met a ton of higher education leaders outside of the US. And I know you're based in Great Britain, yeah? You're based in England? Where are you based? I am actually based in Washington, D.C., believe you it or not. You are not based in Washington, D.C. Get <laughs> out of here. I knew I, you've done a lot of work international. It reads like a it reads like an, a, a, a travel uh, uh, a company's list of places where you've lived and visited. I read your bio. I was like, where haven't you been? Um, but you're based in BC, DC now, um, but you do understand so much about global higher education. First, let's talk about the Education Commission before we talk to you uh, and get under the weeds, so to speak. What is the Education Commission? What do you do? How do you do it? Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. The Education Commission was established in 2015 by the then UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon and a number of countries who came together at that time uh, with a concern that education was not enough a priority on the global ag agenda. And you may remember that in 2015, that was the time when the Sustainable Development Goals were agreed by all the nations of the world. 
and education is one of those goals. It's the uh, what we call SDG four. Um, the concern was there in part because there had been a fall off um, in terms of investment. So when you look at what countries themselves are investing, investing, what the international community is investing, there was a downward trend. So the commission was brought together and Gordon Brown, who is the former prime minister of the United Kingdom and also the UN special envoy for global education was asked to lead this commission to come up with new ideas and pathways to increase investment and reform um, in education. And he assembled an amazing group of people ranging from heads of state to academics um, to former uh, Treasury secretaries, uh, Larry Summers uh, is, was one of, our, is one of our commissioners and so on. So we have an amazing group of individuals who um, have been uh, helping us to lead uh, this work. You know what? I literally have um, Virginia written down on my pad of paper here, but why do I think that you're in Great Britain? Because of Gordon Brown, obviously. It's a, And then obviously a good friend of ours, Stephanie Herman, who has on listening into this podcast, she's in London, so I've equated everything to Great Britain. But that's pretty cool um, that you have that level of um, support internationally at the Education Commission. And you talk about new ideas and pathways for reform. What are the new ideas and pathways? I mean, you know, so this, as you do the work at the Education Commission, what is new? What is focused upon for the future? Mm. Well, thank you. The, um, the Education Commission actually published a report in 2016 uh, called The Learning Generation, um, Investing in Education for a Changing World. And in that report, they identified um, basically 12 uh, concrete uh, areas where change is needed. And since then, at the Education Commission, we have been working on the implementation um, of those areas, and particularly on areas where we feel um, we need to push uh, the frontier a little bit. The first one is, um, there are five of them. The first one is, what we call learning transformation. And that is really about rethinking how um, children and young people learn using um, more adaptive approaches to education. We can talk Amazing. about that. Two is um, we need to rethink what we call the education workforce itself. The education sector tends to talk a lot about teachers, which is very important, teachers, professors, and so on. But actually, the education workforce itself is, it, uh, consists of many more um, individuals and really thinking through how to transform that workforce to make it more able to do the first thing, which is transform learning. I want to talk but, about that one when you get done. Yeah. Third is the what we call delivery transformation, and that is really has to do with what the governments or the sort of governance of education systems um, is involved, because in many countries, governments or nation states will have wonderful plans for education reform, but nothing happens. And how do you move from setting targets and having ambition for a reform to actually delivering on it? So we are looking around the world at what we call delivery approaches, delivery systems, delivery units. 
Then the, the fourth area is really important as well. We can, that's actually very relevant to our conversation today, which is financing. How are we going to get investments and how do we get them using all forms of financing out there and think about that innovatively? And then the, the final area, and that is one that is uh, that we are focusing on very much right now because the UN General Assembly is coming up, is how we can make education everyone's business and think about cross-sectoral linkages. It has to be the business of people who care about climate. It has to be the business of people who care about health improvements. So really thinking about education as integral to societies and to other development goals. So those are the five areas that we as the commission have now been working on. Also the learning generation report gives you a much deeper uh, view on this, but um, this is kind of what is occupying our, us at the moment. Attention. I have to uh, insert myself for this edup moment, as we like to say here at the edup experience, you said to make education everyone's business. Did you know that our tagline here at the edup experience is that we make education your business? Because we've, we've, when we started this podcast, we said we have to bring education to as many people as we can to experience it because education is foundational to all of our problems. If we can just fix education, it fixes so many other things, right? Uh, Lisbeth, I mean, I, I just, I, I just, my mind's blown the way that kind of happened. And going backwards, because I said I want to go backwards, talk about the education workforce. You know, I think you're right. When we talk about higher, higher education or education in general, we think teachers, we think faculty. But there is an ecosystem of professionals in and around higher education from technology to support mm -hmm. now mental health services, which is the whole deal. You know, how yeah. do we talk about the higher education or the overall education workforce in a way that makes sense beyond just the delivery of the teaching and learning, which is a consequence of what all of those people do, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, I actually think this is a journey we are on as a sector and I, feel we are behind other sectors, very much so. Um, and one of the kind of data points that we came up with when the commission convened and delivered its report a few years ago was actually trying to figure out how many support staff can you are there for every teacher and how many support staff or people surrounding are there for every doctor. Turns out that data is actually not available um, globally that's already one problem. But Yikes. when we found this, um, uh, we found some data in Chile. And what we found there is that we have 45 doctors, um, nurses, and support staff for every 10 doctors. So 45 for every 10 doctors. We only have three for every 10 teachers. Now, I know doctors what? and teachers are not exactly the same. But it just shows the sort of imbalance between this heavy burden that we load on teachers who are, as you say, they are needing to take care of emotional health, they need to take care of the learning process itself, they, there's administration. And in developing countries, it's even worse than we may be seeing in more developed countries. So the key to this is starting to think about education uh, in terms of the whole child. So instead of saying education is really about whatever is transferred in a classroom and the, the knowledge that goes from, from one human to another, 
No, actually education is about the well-being of an entire child and the ability of that child to learn. And when you start to think about that, you are starting to realize that there are indeed a lot of individuals, professionals that need to be there in order to support that child to fully develop and to be able to fully learn. And that is what we call the education workforce. And we have um, been working on testing the idea of what we call learning teams. So why do we not talk in education about teams as much as we do in the corporate sector or in other sectors? How, what would that look like in the education sector? I don't know, you tell me, but it sounds right. I mean, to your point, really interesting, right? Because you'll, you know, in, in corporate America, you'll have a project lead. You have this person that does this. You've got marketing, you've got, da, 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 da. You've got all these people that support and you have a project lead, AKA maybe in this case, the teacher, but we don't do a good job to your point of identifying all the people that are in inputs to get to the output, right? Um, mm -hmm. We talk about the outcomes, but not, the, not all of the people surrounding what, what uh, I don't know, influence that outcome. S such a hard thing for a parent to hear as you're talking about it too, because I've had two kids and, you know, when you're, you know, you think doctor, you think, okay, it's life or death. It is a life or death. Maybe that's why a doctor has so much support staff. Boy, a teacher, it's kind of like life or death too, as you have the mm -hmm. formative years of a child in your hands. Maybe not that child's life or death, although maybe, but maybe in life or death of somebody else in the long run, if you don't provide education because that person can get... Um, you know, economics create a lot of situations uh -huh. for us or a lack of economy. Yes. Oh, man, you're blowing my mind here. You're blowing my mind. Well, one other point I think that you're making is that even if you have all these people there, like the marketing and all these other individuals, what we have seen around the world is that um, sometimes there is also a separation between those who feel that they are part of the learning process and really part of achieving those ultimate goals, the learning outcomes, and those who feel that they are doing administration and ticking boxes. So often what we um, have been promoting is we really need to look at and evidence around the world shows that this is very beneficial for learning is to make sure that leadership, that every part of the system, every person who is making uh, as part of the system, feels that they are contributing to the ultimate outcome, to the learning. So you need to talk about instructional instructional leadership, not leadership to just make sure that the, the sort of school runs on time, but really to what extent are school leaders engaging with the ultimate outcomes and facilitating and supporting towards better learning and creating opportunities for those who we serve. So are you heading to the UN summit or there's, there is a UN summit coming up or one that you're going to be attending? Talk to us about that a little bit. Yes. So next Monday, um, there is a very large global summit planned um, and will take place, unfortunately, because of the global events, including the passing of um, her Majesty the Queen in Great Britain. This is a little bit being derailed, but we are still uh, working very hard towards that moment. It is very important because um, the Secretary General has called for the summit, or called for the summit last year, when he, um, on the back, of, sort of on, in the middle of the pandemic, um, really warned what, for what he called a generational catastrophe. And the, the reason he did that was 
that he saw, again, talking about what we were saying earlier about 2015, again, that the global community and everybody was so focused on getting the health systems right, getting, uh, getting out of the pandemic, making sure we had the right economic recovery that we could uh, make sure that people were protected. Um, and then at the same time, uh, we also had all the climate events that again, education was sort of being forgotten. It is the sort of silent pandemic. It is the pandemic that no one talks about. And so he called for the summit um, and said, we really need to get global leaders to pay attention to this. And that is taking place right before the UN General Assembly, which is the, uh, the annual assembly of all heads of states um, that assemble in New York to discuss the um, development issues and the, and the global economic issues. So the summit um, is trying to really talk about how can we transform education systems? How can we take advantage of the, the, the advantage of the, of the pandemic? We've had huge backlash, we've had huge setbacks, but how could we take um, this as also an opportunity to change uh, the way we do business? And that's what the summit is about. Advanced 360 Education is a data-focused digital marketing company with proven positive outcomes for educational institutions. Advanced 360 Education does not simply rely on instinct to make assumptions about audiences or key data points. Rather, through data intelligence, client strategies take on a higher level of effectiveness. To learn more, visit a360education.com or call Anthony Espinoza at 310-704-5369. That's 310-704-5369. That's Anthony Espinoza at Advanced 360 Education. Yeah, that's 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 pretty uh wonderful. <laughs> um what's greater share? What's this greater share thing I'm hearing about, Lisbeth? And and you know, I want you to open up our audience to new possibilities. So greater share is actually part of kind of a new way of doing business. Um, so far, the education um, has been primarily, or to be primarily financed by uh, the public sector. It is, uh, it is actually enshrined in SDG 4 and the Sustainable Development Goal that um, sort of early years primary secondary education should be available for all at free at point of, of access. It doesn't mean you can have you can't have private schools or anything, but there has to be an opportunity for everybody to access learning schooling um, uh, for free. So, at the sort of minimum and at the basis, this is a, a government responsibility. However, um, we all know that um, the needs around the world are so great, and that we need public-private partnerships, and we also need those private public-private partnerships when it comes to financing education. Um, obviously, again, that is a very big issue also for the developing world, uh, because the developing world is has much uh, more difficulty in financing their education systems, and they need help. That help comes from the public sector as well as the private sector. Now, what we have seen um, is that the private sector has been somewhat absent when it comes to especially philanthropic capital flowing into education. 
Now you may find that strange because in the United States, very generous nation, you often see huge gifts to higher education institutions. And so when we, when we often talk to people and say education is, is, is sort of disadvantaged when it comes to philanthropic giving, um, people kind of look a little puzzled and they think about these big gifts that go to Ivy Leagues or other types of institutions. Money. But that is actually not the full picture. Um, when you look at um, the OECD DAC, which is a, an institution in Paris that tracks sort of public and private giving, when you look at their statistics, and you look at private, anybody who has reported to the DAC um, in terms of the private giving, uh, we find that nearly half of that giving goes to global health and only 8% goes to global education. So when we look at the global picture, education is actually underfunded when it comes to philanthropy. And we are really keen to help uh, bring more philanthropic funding to the sector. So greater share is a fantastic innovation to do that because one way to try and do this is go to existing philanthropists and try to make your case, try to argue for education having better returns on health or, or whatever. That's kind of one approach. Um, but we actually didn't feel that was necessarily the best approach. Um, what the group of people who've been designing Greater Share have uh, said is, let's try and see whether we can tap in a, into additional funding. And uh, that additional funding comes from working with investors who would normally invest their money anyway, using um, funds or investment managers, and trying to work with both the people who put up the money, the investors, as well as the private funds, to basically nudge them towards um, using some of the revenues that come out of these investments towards education. So that means that if someone has some resources that they normally invest in a, in a fund, they will commit to give up some of the returns. So let's say you've got a 10% return or whatever that is, you give up 50, up to 50% of those returns over time, and you basically say, I'm happy to basically let go of that and, and put it towards a number of charities. The brilliance of this model is also that at the same time, we've also uh, worked with the private equity and the fund managers, and also asked them to give up their fees and carry that they normally earn on these investments and also put that towards uh, these charities. So you kind of create a situation where the investors still have a pretty good deal because they are now getting access to very well high performing funds, which is one of the sort of brilliance also of, of greater share to open the door to high performing funds. They still have a return, but they also are able to give up some of these resources. And we basically dedicate those to the uh, education sector. And as part of Greater Share, we have chosen eight NGOs who will benefit from this uh, money over the long term, trying to address an issue that many charities face and that is that often uh, the resources are short term. If you now can invest in a charity or provide philanthropic capital to a charities over a 10 year period, it really 
takes on a whole new meaning. And it means that also we can work more system systemically. It's no longer about a small project here or a small project there, but it's working with those charities to make sure that um, the, the sum is uh, the, the sum of the parts is kind of greater um, in, in the end. So that is really what we are trying to do with Greater Share. And I can go into more details as to how the NGOs have been selected, but to go back to our earlier conversation, they are actually selected based on this issue of the education workforce, really trying to find organizations who understand the importance of the need for a more diverse, more multidimensional workforce. And they work with in different ways on this. Epic, epic, epic. I love it. I'll, I'll tell you, I, I'm listening to you talk and I'm going, boy, <clears throat> who's the person that would think about your model that you're proposing through Greater Share, the, the Greater Share model, and disagree with the economics? And I go, probably you don't want to disagree with you, uh, Dr. Steer here, because you've got like a what? You've got a master's in quantitative economics and a PhD in deve developmental economics. And it's like, I feel like this is a, a good thing here. You're in the middle of all these economies, economies of scale. You understand how the money is moving, um, right? Because it is, when it comes down to it, it, it becomes a resource issue. Any way you slice it, you have human resources and you have money, fiscal mm -hmm. resources. And if you are lacking one or you're lacking the other, most of the time it doesn't work. So how do we create the money? How do we get the pipeline of money in sort of a flywheel concept? That's what I see you talking about. It's kind of this flywheel or everybody's getting something but giving up something and it's creating yeah. a, a cycle. Um, really interesting in, in a model. Uh, and, and what results, can you can you share any results? You've picked the NGOs, have they started? You, you know, how, where, how far along are you? Well, we are actually at a very exciting moment because we are um, very uh, close to what we call the first close of the first fund. Um, this has been uh, under development for quite a while now. Um, the complexity actually of setting something up like this is not uh, to be underestimated. You mean there's and, complexity in quantitative economics? I can't imagine. Well, not only actually also <laughs> in sort of legal, because you want oh, yeah. those investors to also be able to um, account those the resources that they give away towards charitable giving. You're, yep. you're kind of sitting between commercial investment and charities, and so that is all a little bit complicated, but. Um, luckily, we've been able to have the support from some wonderful organizations. And if people have time to Google Greater Share, um, there's just been a, an incredible community of, of people who have given their time pro bono, a lot from the private sector as well, from the private equity funds, from world-class law firms, um, and so on and so on. So we are at a moment where we uh, are hopefully going to close the first fund. So uh, that means that as soon as this fund closer, closes, the investments can be made, the returns will start to flow in over time, and then the, um, the charities will benefit from it. So at the moment, the fund has not disbursed, which means we can't yet speak about the impact. But, um, but you will soon. We will soon, and we have definitely started working with the eight NGOs to make sure that they have, and they were selected based on articulating a clear plan 
that would have impact measurable results, these measure measurable results had to be related to those furthest behind. So it's really also trying to target the most disadvantaged. And it really also is aiming to get at this whole child issue. So uh, making sure that we can uh, reach the whole child, that we can bring in uh, the innovation and, and then helping them also to link up what they do within their projects and programs to the bigger picture. Because in many cases, um, as NGOs grow and take on uh, larger sizes, they actually become quite relevant to the whole system as well. And imagine if you actually could amplify the work of these NGOs and influence the bigger picture, the education systems of, of, of states, of countries, um, of regions of, of the world. So we have a pretty big ambition of actually taking the learning of translating what these NGOs are doing into the conversations that are happening also at the policy level and at the system level. And that's also something we are working with them on right now. So as soon as the money starts to flow, that we can, it's not just about the, the children that are necessarily reached through the specific programs, but also how could we add all of this up to something that's bigger and more ambitious. Wow. I love it. I love big thinkers. Um, <laughs> I, I love big goals, right? I mean, the way the, the way you're speaking is inspiring. Um, you know, before I close things out, Elizabeth, anything you want to say at all that we didn't cover about the Education Commission, Greater Share, your work, where you're going, where you might be speaking, anything at all that you want to say? Well, I would say we need everyone engaged in education. So making it everyone's business, I really love your slogan. Yes. Um, look up uh, the Education Commission if you are interested in our work. Um, look up Greater Share if you are interested in that work. We need um, uh, the people who are listening to this program. I assume they are already convinced that education is important, but we are at a a pivotal moment. Uh, we have had great losses due to the pandemic. We are running the risk of leaving half of the world's young people behind because that is the statistic right now that 60% of all young children are leaving education without the basic skills to thrive. And we need everybody to invest in this and, and, and be part of this journey. Whether you're in corporations or working on climate change or working on whatever issue, there's always an education story to it. And so I would really encourage people to get engaged and please contact us um, if you want to know more about the Commission's work or um, Greater Share. Well, you can find Dr. Lisbeth Steer on LinkedIn. I did. I know I did. I'm still waiting for you to accept my uh, request, Lisbeth. And I only do this to people uh, live here on the Edip Experience so that they accept my request. Um, so now you have to. And then, uh, of course, educationcommission.org, I believe, is the website for yeah. people to check out if they want to get involved. Find out more about the work that you're doing. I mean, this is critical work, right? These are, the, and the reason why this, I think this is so important to the higher education audience is because this is our pipeline of people. Who, if we don't get it right when you're a kid, uh, we're not going to have a chance to get it right when you're a formative adult or an adult for that matter. Um, so we all have a responsibility to uh, bring education to as many people as possible. I love 
what you said about bringing education to everyone and you're certainly accomplishing that. So let me see if I can outro you here the right way. I'm going to try to bring you uh, in. I'm going to outro you a little bit different than I did when I introduced you. Ladies and gentlemen, stamp your feet on the ground now for Dr. Lisbeth Steer. She is the executive director at the Education Commission. Lisbeth, did you have a good EdUp experience today? I had a fantastic experience. You are a very good uh, interviewer. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I'm going to leave that in. I'm not going to edit that out. Just so you know, I'm going to leave that part in. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you've just ed upped. Effective marketing for educational institutions requires a dedicated partner that understands the complex, constantly evolving digital landscape in which colleges, universities, and career schools compete. The EdUp Experience podcast partner, Advanced 360 Education, is a data-focused digital marketing company with proven positive outcomes for educational institutions. Advanced 360 Education does not simply rely on instinct to make assumptions about audiences or key data points. Through data intelligence, client strategies take on a higher level of effectiveness, whether the goal is driving enrollment, alumni engagement, or other educational marketing campaigns. To learn more, visit a360education.com or call Anthony Espinoza at 310-704-5369. That's Anthony Espinoza, 310-704-5369, a360education.com.